Welcome to Palm Crit 101, your one-stop shop for everything wild and wacky in critical care. I'm Dr. J, your friendly Palm Crit attending, and every week we'll be discussing out-of-this-world cases, talking with expert consultants, and going behind the scenes of life as a pulmonary critical care doc. Today, I have with me Dr. Kevin Carroll, a graduating internal medicine resident who plans on applying for Palm Crit Fellowship and who, like me, is willing to bronc anything that moves. Welcome, Dr. Carroll. Thank you for having me, Dr. J. And uh, yeah, of course, Bronx is life. Speaking of Bronx, did I ever tell you about the time I moonlighted as the Tooth Fairy? The Tooth Fairy. No, you definitely have not told me that one. I would have remembered that. So let me enlighten you. I met, let's let's call her Mrs. Smith, uh, my very first month as a brand new attending. She's in her 70s, very fashion, fashionable, you know, the epitome of grandma chic but she had been dealing with just the absolute worst cough and shortness of breath for the last two months. Absolute worst? How bad? How bad is the absolute worst? The absolute worst is bad enough that she'd already been through two rounds of steroids, tried on three different inhalers, and every anti-allergy med on this planet. Okay, so all the inhalers, all the anti-allergies, how about her PFTs? What are those looking like? So for those of our listeners who don't know, PFTs are pulmonary function tests. And as a pulmonologist, they're one of our most useful tools. We can figure out if someone has obstructive lung disease like COPD or asthma, or even restrictive disease like interstitial lung disease. We can even diagnose vocal cord dysfunction using PFTs. Okay, so what do her PFTs look like? So she actually had had a remote history of smoking for just a few years, but her PFTs were pretty normal, nothing to write home about. I was pretty stumped by the end of the visit, actually. So I said, well, let's try one more inhaler and let me pull out one last trick out of my hat and let's get a CAT scan of the chest. Oh, no. CAT scan. Something's coming here. What was on the CAT scan? So if it wasn't for the staff at the office, I never would have known. Turns out there's another very well-established physician in the area who is almost the exact same as name as me, go figure, and the result of the scan was sent to them. They actually reached out to us and faxed over the results. Okay, what was on the scan? I have to know now. So the report read, and I quote, a 1.3 by 0.8 centimeter metallic density in the left main stem bronchus concerning for a foreign body aspiration. Foreign body aspiration, metallic in the lungs. So there's your answer, right? Well, yeah, but what do you think the density was? I mean, metallic, the first thing that always comes to mind is a bullet, but 70-year-old Grandma Smith clearly didn't get shot in the chest, at least not that I know of, right? So that's what I thought, too. A bullet didn't make sense, and even if it was aspirated food, it's not going to be showing up as metallic either. So I had her come back to the office ASAP, and we went over the CAT scan results, and I told her I was going to need to do a bronchoscopy in order to see what was going on, because I thought this was the cause of everything. Okay, so did she agree? She agreed, and then she goes, by the way, and you know when they say that, it's never good. Oh no, by the way, what'd she do? She swallowed a penny, or was it actually a bullet? Did she swallow a bullet? (laughs) No, she did not swallow a bullet, she did not swallow a penny. But she had gone to the dentist two weeks before her symptoms started. Oh, here we go. Here we go. So apparently he was putting in a new filling at the appointment. And it's not like this is a new dentist. It wasn't someone different. It was the exact same person she'd gone to for years. He supposedly put the new filling in, said everything's fine, and sent her on home. Okay. So what was on the bronch? So I get her schedule for the bronch right away. And the day of the scope, I had only planned to use conscious sedation. And for those of you who don't know, when we do bronchoscopies, You can either have the patient intubated or you can have the anesthesia team administer conscious sedation. 
What's nice about conscious sedation is that these are great for the scopes that you expect to be quick and easy. But I'll tell you, a benefit of having your patient intubated is that your airways are already secure and all you have to do is go through the endotracheal tube and you don't have to deal with the vocal cords. So our CRNA that day got Mrs. Smith nice and sleepy, conscious sedation. I go in with a scope, her cords are nice and easy to find and boom, right into the trachea I go. I get to the carina, no problem. Look at the right, looks clean, no issues. I go to the left. I hadn't even gotten very far down the left main stem and what do you think I saw? If it's not a tooth, I'll be shocked. It was a tooth. It was a humongous molar that oh, was no. embedded into her mucosa. It literally was jammed right in there. It's granulation tissue everywhere. And the second I touched the scope to her tooth, the mucosa started to bleed like bad. So I pulled the scope out as quick as I could and got her intubated. Why was there so much bleeding if the tooth was just sitting there? You just pull it right out, right? So actually what happens is that when you have a foreign body like that or like a tooth down there for months and months, the surrounding tissue is going to get very friable. So once she was intubated, I had the freedom to take the time I needed since her airway was secure. I went back in, bleeding had settled, put a little cold saline down there for good measure. But the question was, how was I going to get this thing out? So first I thought, well, let me use the forceps. Threaded the forceps through the scope, but here's the problem. When you use the forceps, it's like a pair of alligator clips. And if you can imagine, you have this humongous tooth with this very smooth surface, and not just that, it's lodged at an angle. Well, every time I tried to grab it, I came up with air. Well, we can't just leave it in there, right? Obviously, you can't leave a tooth in her lung. So then there's this nifty little tool called the cryoprobe. And what's great about the cryoprobe, you can use it for debridement and debulking when you have a huge tumor. But it can also be used for other things, like what I learned that day, to remove a tooth. So I threaded the probe through the scope. And once I could angle the probe to touch the tooth, I pressed on the foot pedal that starts the process. And let me tell you something, though. I've never used the cryoprobe before. So you've got a tooth in this woman's lung, and now you're using a cryoprobe, which you've never done before. Mm -hmm. So how'd that go? Well, let me tell you this. When you use the cryoprobe, you really shouldn't let the probe touch any of the actual lung mucosa. You get a lot of bleeding, and it's just no bueno. Thing is, I really wanted to get that tooth out, and I had a team of anesthesiologists and ENT docs watching me, sitting there in the peanut gallery, wanting to get their hands in the scope. So I may have kept my foot on the pedal a touch too long. And when I realized I started to freeze the lung mucosa, my foot came off the pedal and down went the tooth into the lower part of her lung. So you hadn't used the cryoprobe. You take your foot off the pedal and now the tooth is further down in her lung is what you're saying. Correct. I created more of a problem. So then I moved as fast as I possibly could, could pull the cryoprobe out, put the forceps back in. I got the scope down into the lower lobe where half the tooth was conveniently sitting in my absolute favorite segment of the lung, the superior segment. And yes, I am being sarcastic here. Yes, tooth seg is always a pain in the ass. And let me tell you why I call it that. It's a pain because of how lateral it is and the angle at which you have to turn to get into it. Where I trained, we didn't have the luxury of having a scope that twisted 360 degrees. And let me tell you, you come to hate that segment pretty quickly. So anyways... I was able to grab that piece of the forceps because it had a jagged end. I pulled the whole scope out with the piece attached to the forceps, deposited it, and then went back in for the rest of the sucker. This time, when I put the cryoprobe in on the rest of the tooth, once the crystallization began, I was able to pull the rest of the tooth out with the probe and the scope, and that was that. Dang, so you got it. So you really were the tooth fairy that day. Yes, I was the tooth fairy, and instead of money, she was able to breathe again. And she was able to breathe better? She was a completely different person afterwards, no issues with shortness of breath or cough or any symptoms whatsoever. 
Now, what I want to know is what about the dentist? I mean, a crown just fell off into this woman's lung and we just let it go. Did she tell them what happened or what happened? So I was told when she came back for her follow that she did go back and see him and she told him what happened. And I guess he felt really bad and said, oh, I'm sorry, but she's been going to him for years and she felt bad, you know, not wanting to see him again after that. Wow. Well, Mrs. Smith is better than I because I would not be going back to that dentist. Agreed. I told her to call me the next time this happens. Well, I would like to say thank you to everyone who is listening and thank you to Dr. Carol for co-hosting the very first episode of Palm Crit 101. Please subscribe if you like what you heard today and leave questions, comments, and feedback for us. Make sure you tune in next week to find out what happens when I break my own rule of never saying the Q word on a slow call weekend. You know it's going to be nuts. <laughs>